Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Each episode, we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer your kidney health questions. Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people with kidney disease discover us. We really appreciate it. Now, on with the show. Donating a kidney is one of the most selfless gifts one person can give to another. But what is that experience like for the donor before and after the transplant surgery? Today, we'll hear from Jessica Kalinsky, a living kidney donor, and Alexandra Tatalis, a transplant coordinator, about the post-transplant experience and what resources are available to donors after the surgery. Let's get started. My name is Marlena Chesner. I'm the Digital Content Development Manager at NKF. I use they, them pronouns. Um, Jessica, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Marlena. I'm Jessica. I am uh, an attorney in Philadelphia, and I am a living kidney donor to my dad in 2014. Hi, my name's uh, Lexi. Um, I go by she, her, hers, um, and I am the living donor social worker at uh, Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. Awesome. Thank you both so much for joining us here today. Um, to get started, Jessica, could you tell me a little bit about your living kidney donation? I guess it was sort of around the holidays in 2013. My dad sat us down in the living room. It was me and my brother and my brother's now wife um, and my mom and sat us all down and said, uh, look, so I'm pretty sick. You know, he had gotten sick after earlier in the year in 2013 and it was a bacterial infection and how they treated it apparently really affected and ruined his kidney function. And so he said, you know, I, I think I'm probably getting to the point where I might need to do dialysis. And, and I remember I like looked over at my brother and I looked at my dad and I was like, wait, like, can't you donate a kidney? Isn't that a thing that people can do? Um, and he's like, well, yes, but I mean, I'm not asking for that. I didn't raise you for spare parts. That's his favorite line. <laughs> and I said, well, no, I mean, you didn't ask. I'm, I'm asking, is that a thing? And he said, well, yeah, I, I mean, you know, yeah. And he was kind of, you know, sheepish about it, I guess. But, you know, immediately I started doing research and truly, I've said this before, like NKF was the first website I found when I was doing research about being a living donor. And I found just a wealth of information and it was incredibly helpful. So, you know, my brother and I both tested, we were both matches. Um, and I, it was the biggest fight we've ever had as siblings, which is hard to, you know, when we were younger, we certainly would fight over the front seat and all that stuff. But um, this was the biggest fight we've had. But in the end, I, you know, pulled the big sister card. So he then did get engaged to my now sister-in-law. Um, and, and so his wedding was coming up later in 2014. Um, and, you know, professionally for me, where the firm I was at at the time, you know, they taking time off would not affect my promotional status, but for my brother taking time off, it could have affected him getting a promotion. So it was, you know, a real easy thing for, for us. Um, and I say all the time, it was the easiest decision. I would do it again if I had more to spare. And I'm still numb on my right side, but other than that, uh, no real complaints. So Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Lexi, would you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what your job entails, what you do in the day-to-day? 
So I work with the living donor team at Rush. And so my responsibility and roles essentially are working and doing kind of those initial evaluations or assessments of potential living donors just to tease out in terms of the support that they have, um, you know, during the process. And then, of course, after the process, we always want to make sure that living donors have support that's going to be needed after surgery with, you know, things around the house and whatnot. And then also um, making sure that they have financial support too, kind of what their job status entails, um, if there's any financial concerns that they're concerned about, connecting them with appropriate resources if, if there are concerns because there are a wealth of resources available for living donors, luckily. Also to kind of assess mental health history and discussing kind of some of the risks we like to call and being able to answer any questions that, that might come up because a lot of people aren't really aware of, you know, the living donor process in general. Just being an advocate for living donors and, and helping kind of be that, their support throughout the process because it can be overwhelming when you're meeting with a lot of different uh, multidisciplinary team members and it can be a little bit information overload at times. So I like to say that I'm kind of their home base <laughs> throughout the process, being their advocate and ally throughout it. And then also um, I am luckily get to meet with them, you know, after surgery too. So checking in, seeing how they're doing and being there essentially for however long or as little as they need me. Oh, that's so great. That sounds like a really rewarding um, profession. Yeah, I really, I really enjoy it. So speaking of the evaluation, uh, Jessica, you kind of said that you and your brother were both matches, but can you tell us a little bit more about what that whole process was like? What tests did you have to go through? The initial testing, I think, so we did our surgery at University of Pennsylvania and they have a transplant center there. They brought everybody in. They had like set sessions. They brought a whole group of people in. I want to say it was like a Monday morning. I don't remember, but, um, and they, you know, did a whole educational spiel about what to expect, what it would look like, you know, an overview of all the testing and, and all that sort of stuff. And then after the session was over, if you were still interested, they would do just a simple blood test. So we both went in together and, you know, did the blood work and, you know, got a call, you know, a week later, a couple of days later, whatever it was, um, and the, the, the coordinator who called me and I was like, are, well, are you, have you called my brother? Are you going to call my brother? She's like, you know, under HIPAA, I cannot tell you this, but I am about to call your brother. And I was like, okay, I'll talk to you. Know, I'll talk to him in a minute. Um, and so we, you know, got that news that we were both matches. Um, you know, I think, you know, within a couple of days, we all had dinner at my brother, uh, brother's apartment with his then fiance. Yeah, I guess they had gotten engaged by that point. Um, and, uh, and, and our parents and, um, you know, and just talking through all of it. And again, my parents being like, you know, we're not asking you to do this. Are you sure? You know, and we were both like, yeah, no, I'm sure I'm in. Um, and so then he and I had a lot of heart, heart to hearts. Um, and finally I just called up the transplant center. I was like, it's going to be me. Don't even listen to him. If he calls, it's me. Um, and so then we got started on scheduling the different testing. Um, there's a really lovely uh, 24-hour urine collection sample that you have to do. So, um, so I think it was my first appointment. Like after we had decided I was going to be the the donor, I'm sitting in the waiting room and, and with my jug of 
recipe and um, and there's a woman sitting there too and she said oh you got the good stuff there and I said oh yeah you know getting tested and stuff she's like oh yeah I'm here for my two-year follow-up it's you know amazing I would do it again you know and she just was kind of like a reassuring random stranger in the waiting room and then the testing proceeded from like that first urine collection and then there was a second one but then there was a full day of testing to you know to do a CT scan to see which kidney they would be using because it you know it matters what how many arteries and veins are running through each kidney which uh, which kidney they will take which procedure they will do um, I had to meet with infectious disease because I had been to South Africa three years before the uh, the surgery, and you know everything checked out fine there. And then, of course, with with a counselor, with with the donor advocate, um, as as Lexi was saying, you know it's a very supportive team. They want to make sure that, as Lexi was saying, that you have financial support, that you have people around you to support you, because you know like you can't lift up a jug of milk after for a while. Um, and, you know, I think there were some probing questions to make sure I wasn't being paid to do this. Um, and I said, basically, I'm, I'll be paid in home-cooked meals by my mom, but other than that, no. Um, and then a fabulous wedding, but that, you know, was, I joke that that was my reward, but um, yeah. And so, so yeah, so I remember just being at Penn for an entire day, uh, moving between different uh, different units and different testing and stuff. Um, and once everything came back all clear, um, I think I had to do blood work again, like the day before surgery was scheduled, but yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, it was pretty straightforward and, and the Lexi was not my coordinator, but the, the Lexi role at Penn was just incredibly supportive. I was looking through emails and I have an email I sent to her like two days before, like, wait a minute, can I get a manicure before the, you know, like just silly little questions. And she, you know, responded to every little silly thing that uh, came to mind and, and it was a wonderful supportive environment. So. Oh, that's so beautiful. I am curious, Lexi, and, you know, Jessica's case is really, you know, everything worked out. They were a match. If they hadn't been a match for their father, but still eligible to donate, can you kind of explain what that process would be like? So that obviously can happen uh, quite a bit. And so, you know, they go through meeting the team and they're, you know, super motivated to go forward with this process. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes they get the bad news that they're not necessarily a match. Um, and in my experience, to my surprise, a lot of the patients after finding that out, um, I just kind of had the assumption that they might want to just kind of back out and be done with it and maybe go, you know, see if other family members or friends are matches. But surprisingly and wonderfully enough with this community, they are still eager to donate um, as what we call like a non-directed uh, donor. So kind of giving just altruistically. So that's been a really kind of wonderful experience to, you know, witness firsthand um, patients who aren't matches, but still wanting to go forward and donate. That's been really, really great to see. Yeah, those paired kidney exchanges, they're really beautiful. And, you know, sometimes you see the whole line of people together that, you know, the one person that started it, multiple people get their kidneys. So, um, Jessica, can you tell us a little bit how you felt after the transplant? Exhausted. Um, <laughs> yes, it was. And, and they had warned us, and I'm sure Lexi can, you know, knows the drill like they had said look you are going from two fully functioning kidneys and you are healthy enough we can take an organ away from you and you are gonna feel terrible 
and it's okay. And that's how, what to expect. Um, but I was like, no, no, I'm, I got this. I'm good. But I just, I mean, it was just pure exhaustion. Like I would have to lay down after a shower. I had complication is a strong word for what it was, but after the anesthesia, my, my bladder didn't wake up is sort of how they explained it to me. Um, so they had to recatheterize, which was not pleasant, but you know, not the worst either. Um, and so, but once that got functioning, you know, that was fine. Um, you know, they had us up and walking, you know, same day. Um, and yeah, my dad, my dad ended up having to go to the ICU, but he separately has some heart conditions. And so, you know, they were monitoring him more and, and, um, but, you know, he did a drive-by, he sat down in his bed and uh, did a wave and stuff. Um, but yeah, so like that, the first probably week was really just totally drained and totally exhausted. So our surgery was a Tuesday. We both went home on Saturday and by the next Tuesday, so a week out from surgery, I had stopped taking the pain meds. And, you know, honestly, I think the most uncomfortable part was, um, not being able to go to the bathroom for <laughs> it was about nine days that was really uncomfortable um but they had they kept saying like just walk just keep moving and keep moving and you'll just start feeling better um and and it really did that you know the movement really helped um i know i had some brain fog for a little while but it, they attributed that to the anesthesia as well and just kind of feeling out of it but Again, I moved back in with my parents for for a month or so after surgery. So I had mom there, you know, cooking and, and cleaning, and the dog wouldn't leave my side. She like knew. I feel like she she just you know the dogs they know, and she was just right there. Yeah. So and I was with my dad, and so you know we fought over what to watch on TV and stuff. But but eventually it just you know you just sort of start feeling a little more human again. The the swelling goes down a bit. Um, you know, so so I had, I didn't mention this, so I had the open surgery, so they took my right kidney. They do laparoscopic to take the left kidney, and that has to do with controlling the bleeding and, and better visualization and stuff like that. So I have a, a bigger scar than, a, uh, than if it had been laparoscopic, but it's still, you know, maybe four or five inches. It's, um, the doctor was like, it's beautiful. It's my smallest scar ever. He was really proud. And so, you know, so yes, I had a big wound on my side and that was a little weird and, you know, and I wasn't allowed to drive for the first couple of weeks, but then eventually like you just kind of keep moving. And one day I was like walking home, I stopped and picked up a six pack of beer and it was like too heavy to carry home. And I was like, okay, I got to do something. And so I joined a gym for the first time ever and I worked out with a trainer and I, I have said this to him, I say it all the time. He brought me back to life, like just, and we started real slow. We started, you know, with like two pound weights. And then, you know, within a few months I was benching 90, like it was um, really awesome to just like, to get back to moving. So, yeah. Was the experience like as it was expected or was it a little bit different than you thought it would be? I think it was, I, I think um my Lexi um, did a really good job of of explaining a lot of the things to expect um you know I think probably a lot of people are like oh well that I, I, you know I'm stronger than that or I'm tougher than that or I you know I got this um and it really like it really does it takes a lot out of you um but again I was I was back to work after about a month and I could have gone back sooner, except it was like 4th of July weekend. So I like leaned into a long weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, um, 
yeah, it was, it was, as they said, like, you just like, just keep moving a little bit every day and like, you know, just keep going and, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be tired. You really will. Cause your body is adjusting and, and it's a big thing. I think they did a really great job explaining what to expect. So I appreciate that. That's great. It's always nice to hear about a good coordination. Um, speaking of Lexi, how do you have these discussions with donors beforehand? You know, in terms of, you know, managing expectations, sometimes this is people's first time in a medical system. I mean, um, usually, typically, they're, they're pretty healthy people um, that haven't really gone through major types of surgeries or, or things of that nature. Um, yeah, managing expectations, what you're going to feel like, uh, you know, right after. I know pain is also a big one, too. Um, and also, you know, I know mentioning like lifestyle changes. I think that's a that's a big one. I think this can sometimes kick patients into into gear of um, you know managing a healthy lifestyle um, and what that's going to look like for essentially for the rest of your life. Um, and that can be kind of challenging too. I mean, you know, I know I have trouble <laughs> maintaining my habit of going to the gym during the week. So um, so just being cognizant of that and. Um, and, you know, helping manage expectations. And I, you know, I think just asking as many questions as you can throughout the process is just, um, you know, there's no such thing as a, as a, a dumb question and, you know, just being as transparent as possible. And I think that's why the process has so many people that you're meeting with before, sometimes dietitians and, and pharmacists and the surgeons and the doctors. And there's just so many different different people that you're meeting with because we really like to uh, to drill in kind of, you know, <laughs> certain, um, certain aspects of, of what life is going to be like afterwards and just making sure that patients feel feel comfortable with that because they have a new responsibility only having one kidney. And that's just to make sure that you're taking care of yourself as, as much as you can be. And what is your experience with people right after they donate? I get to see them usually what we call like post-op day one. So they had gotten the surgery the day before and usually the turnaround time patients usually discharge the day after surgery, maybe the following day, obviously pending different circumstances. I, uh, you know, see them right after surgery where they're usually not, not, you know, (laughs) learning a lot of things about their body, trying to get up, um, trying to eat, kind of regaining those basic life skills after coming out of anesthesia. I would say like major feelings that living donors have right after surgery is this, um, like this gratitude and this thankfulness. Um, I feel like that is, you know, as crabby as patients may be given however, you know, whatever pain they're in or they're starving or things like that. There's just this overwhelming feeling of, you know, I'm so glad I was able to do this. Um, And it's just, it's great to kind of witness that firsthand, um, even though they've gone you know, through through a surgery and they're in a hospital in a different environment, there's this kind of overwhelming feeling of, of gratitude and thankfulness that they were able to help. Jessica, definitely sounded like you felt some of that same gratitude. Um, and can you share, like, you mentioned you went to um, a gym afterwards. Were there any other places that you went for, for help and support? I think so. I think it was mostly like the signing up with a trainer was really what, you know, 
got me going, kicked my butt back into into gear. Um, um, Lexi mentioned, you know, the gratitude and stuff. I remember coming out of the anesthesia. The first thing that the nurse said to me was, "You did great. The kidney's already working. Go back to sleep." And so it was just like, "Oh, okay," like big relief and and yeah, definitely gratitude. And um, yeah, I don't know, right? I don't know that I. I probably complained to my mom a lot. Um, you know, she was, she's always been my therapist of sorts. Um, but I do know some people who felt the need to, to, you know, speak with a therapist and I, you know, fully encourage that. And, um, you know, cause it is a little weird. You're getting rid of some of your body and, and you don't, you know, it feels sort of foreign and weird. Um, you know, and so absolutely, you know, encourage anybody to get whatever, um, support that they need. Um, Cause that's, cause again, it is, it's a wonderful thing that you're able to do, but it's, it's tough and you are changing your life and your body. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lexi, could you tell us maybe a little bit about what available resources there are for um, living donors post donation? Sure. So I know um, at, you know, at Rush, um, what's nice is that, like I said, we, essentially follow our patients for however long they they need us. Um, so I'm kind of their point person in connecting them to whatever type of resources that they uh, that they may need um, in terms of, you know, whatever that may be, like financial support or mental health support, because yes, it is, and it can be a drastic, um, a drastic change. And of course, you know, we talk about certain situations where how patients may feel if, um, you know, if their kidney is, is rejected down the line and, and what, um, what, you know, what that process is like and how, you know, we certainly encourage patients to get the, the type of mental support that they need. And um, so I know through NKR, um, there's just so many wonderful resources. And I think one of the really great ones is like the donor mentorship program um, that connects patients with other, connects living donors with other living donors who have gone through the process. There's also the living donor online group too, um, where you can connect uh, directly with, with other families, other living donors. Um, and then also, you know, the connection to myself at the center itself, um, getting them connected with, uh, with, you know, psychotherapists, um, connecting them with other providers if they need to see a psychiatrist, um, being able to walk them through that process and getting them the help and support that they need right away. Yeah, no, speaking of those supports, National Kidney Foundation actually has a peer mentorship, NKF Peers, and that's one of my favorite ones to talk about because it's so great to be able to match people up so they can have these conversations. And we also have the um, community, online community for um, transplant recipients and donors. Jessica, have you ever used any resources like that or have you found it? You're pretty good. Um, I have actually, I'm, I'm in the, the Facebook groups for the NKF transplants. Um, and then I also have gotten uh, very involved with the advocacy committee through NKF. So I realize more and more every single time I talk to any anyone who has any kidney connection, just how lucky we were that I was matched, that we got surgery really quickly, that it went well, and that I, at the time, was working for a small firm and they were so kind and generous and just kind of fronted me vacation time 
Um, and so I was able to take the time I needed. And I know that's not the case for most people. Um, and so as I learned more about that, that's when I started getting involved with the advocacy. That's why I really would love to see the Living Donor Protection Act passed in Congress. Um, and, you know, we're, we've in, we're working on a bill for home hemo. Um, because I remember going to the the summit, the kidney patient summit in DC in 2019. That was the first time I was there, and you know, and I'm I'm there, and I, like I'm passionate about it, but I, like I'm pretty healthy and I'm good, you know, and 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 you know, looking around and talking to people, and it's like it is 7:30 in the morning, and we're like getting our breakfast, getting ready to head to you know Capitol Hill, and there are people here who who have been up since three because they had to dialyze before we did this, and it's like oh my gosh, like it affects their lives so much more significantly. And so that's why I've gotten so involved and so passionate about, uh, you know, advocating for kidney patients. Um, you know, again, I, I'm coming from a, a privileged place that it worked really, it worked out beautifully for us. And and I want it, I want everybody to have this opportunity, you know, transplants for all is our new motto. Like, you know, I want, and, and so, um, so NKF has been incredibly supportive. In fact, when I was doing the research before uh, before surgery, I found, found about, about the kidney walk. And so I signed up for it and I get a call from someone in our local Philly office, like, Hey, you're new. What's your, you know, what's your kidney story? And I said, well, actually, I, you know, I'm going to be a donor. I haven't even told my boss yet. Um, and so, and it was just, and so the local office has been so wonderfully supportive. Um, you know, I can like text them and just be like, Hey, I had a question about this or, you know, I, you know, somebody in my office on Friday was asking me about her aunt needs a transplant, you know, what resources are there? And I was like, well, let me you know, and so uh, honestly, NKF has been an incredible resource um, for me, and and I've been able to spread the word as well. So, thank you so much for doing that. Um, you know, it really means a lot to hear about our, especially our advocates right now, talking about the Living Donor Protection Act, because um, that's a big one. Insurance discrimination, not cool when someone is giving the gift of life. Um, but Lexi, could you maybe share one or two of these major blockers to potential donors and if there's any resources to help them get past those so they can donate? I feel like jobs and financial resources is, is a big one because you the recovery process for it, you want to make sure that you have um, you know, as much support as you can because you are really vulnerable after you after you donate because you do need a lot of help. Um and so I know, you know, asking for help can be really challenging for for people um, and knowing what help is out there for them. I think, um, you know, how am I going to support myself if I don't necessarily have the biggest support system um, after donation? And I think, um, you know, in terms of the the different financial supports through Donor Shield, and there's also uh, programs that you can sign up to get, you know flights paid for and lodging paid for so that you don't necessarily feel stuck at one institution. Um, I think that's a huge, uh, huge barrier feeling like, you know, I only have this one option to go to when there's so many other centers that are ready, willing and able to, um, to, you know, accept patients and, and see and meet them where they're at. Um, so I think getting access to other networks um, across the country is huge. Um, if you feel like there are, you know, certain barriers within, you know, an institution that you're at. Um, so having those travel expenses being able to be covered and paid for, I think is huge. 
at Penn, it was, you know, we came, I came back two weeks after surgery just for a check-in. Um, and then I think it was six weeks and then six months, one year, two year, and then that was it. Um, and I know, you know, they told me that I should make sure that I check my blood pressure every year and that I check creatinine and, um, every year, just make sure in my annual that that gets tested, but otherwise they were like, you're free to go, you know? <laughs> um, uh, and so, you know, I think that, um, I don't know, at the time it kind of felt like, oh, okay, okay, like I'm, I'm free to go, okay. Um, you know, but, but you know, as we discussed, there's so many resources through NKF, through, um, you know, available out there and, and different peer mentoring and that sort of thing that, that are available, which is great. Um, and um, I did want to mention too, I think um, Lexi talked about, you know, helping with flights and, and, you know, hotel stays and other like expenses. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that the surgery is covered by the recipient's insurance. And I think that's important to note too, because I've, I've talked to people who've been like, well, I don't think my cover, my insurance would cover that. And I said, well, your insurance doesn't have to. <laughs> so, um, you know, so that's definitely a, a, an important piece of it too. Um, did you ever feel like any anxieties or stress about, you know, after transplant and you were like, oh, this isn't important enough to reach out? Probably. Yeah. Um, I would say definitely like the, the fatigue that lasted for a while, although I've always been a person who could take a nap any day, you know, that was pre-surgery. But yeah, like the fatigue lasted for a bit. And then again, like the feeling weak and the like, shouldn't I be like able to do some more things than this? And so that, so my solution then was to join the gym and to start working back up to, to feeling like myself and then feel then stronger, you know? And so I think that's, maybe that's where I channeled whatever mental questions I was having. Um, I know for my dad, he had and I understand this is very common, a lot of depression following. And I remember him just saying, well, I don't understand why you're up and about and I am not. And it's like, well, because I was healthy enough to get rid of an organ and you needed one. And so, you know, like your body's healing and that's okay. And Lexi also mentioned something about what to do if if the kidney fails. And, and that is very a very scary possibility. And I know my dad had to, was readmitted twice after surgery, once, once for an infection. And then the second time he ended up getting a pacemaker, but I was sitting there like in the room and the doctor comes in and he's like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a smaller kidney than, you know, you're a bigger guy and it's a smaller kidney and I'm sitting there and I'm like, excuse me, I'm right here. It's my wound is still open. How can you say this in front of me? So that I think really shook me too. But luckily, you know, we're coming up on nine years and, and doing really well. So as Lexi said, maybe understanding that that's a real possibility and providing the support for that if it comes to be so so as we're wrapping up um jessica what do you wish you would have known or what advice would you have for other living donors or those considering living donation it's a great question i don't know i would just say make sure that you do your research ahead of time ask as many of the questions even the silly ones that come to your head as lexi was saying like they're there to support because it is a big thing that you're doing and it's wonderful that the different transplant centers have people who are your advocate, who are there for you. Yeah, ask as many questions as you can and keep moving, really. Once you can, just keep moving. It's tough, I would say, again, my, so I had the open surgery, so I, uh, they took it from the right side. I'm still numb there, but not that big a deal, it's fine. Um, and the only thing that I'm restricted on is uh, NSAIDs. I can't take Advil anymore, which is 
which is not a big deal, except, you know, now that I'm in my thirties, you know, the hangovers last a little longer, but otherwise, you know, it's really, um, not anything to really complain about. So, uh, <laughs> and Lexi, do you have any advice for, you know, potential living donors who may come through your door or another coordinator's door? Yeah, absolutely. I think the best advice I can give is going through like the mentorship program. I think reaching out to other living donors is is crucial. As much as I'm an advocate for for living donors and you know their ally throughout this process, I feel like connecting with other living donors is is so valuable and can be really crucial and helpful through the process and their lived experience through that. There's things that they're able to share and provide advice for that I don't know because I haven't necessarily gone through that process. So I think getting involved with a donor mentorship program and a peer support group, I think is, uh, can be really beneficial. Oh, that's some wonderful advice. And my last question, Jessica, um, I know you had a little bit of an unexpected bonus what came from your living donation story. Um, in terms of meeting your husband. I was wondering if you could just briefly tell us about that. Sure. So um, I, my, we met on a dating app and uh, this particular app used, uh, you know, different prompts and the one was two truths and a lie. So I had put, um, I've been to South Africa, I donated a kidney and I have a tattoo. And most people, you know, thought that I was lying about the kidney thing, which is a wild thing to, to lie about, but, um, <laughs> you know, but I get a message one, one day from, from this very handsome man. And he says, I'll show you my scar if you show me yours. And I was, you know, interest is peaked. And so we started messaging and, you know, it was a Sunday when we started talking, we had drinks on Tuesday, dinner on Thursday. And then I think we saw each other, you know, every other day and, and um, eventually got married. And so my husband donated a kidney to his dad also in 2014. Uh, they did it at Emory. Um, and so, you know, we, and he donated his left and I donated my right. So we joked together, we're a perfect match. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, so it just uh, totally randomly worked out that, that we were um, donors and, um, yeah. So at our, at our wedding, we, um, gave little kidney pins to everybody. Um, and, uh, we, yeah, we, it's, that's our living donor connection. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. I couldn't help but ask because it's one of my favorite stories to hear the perfect match. It's so cute. Um, yeah, we're still waiting on somebody to write the movie, but you know, <laughs> no, honestly, Hallmark, get at us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, thank you both so incredibly much for meeting with us today and talking about this really important topic. Is there anything else either of you would like to share with us before we close out? I'll just echo what Lexi said, you know, definitely reach out to other living donors. Um, you know, we all have slightly different stories, but all pretty much very similar and, um, you know, happy to talk about it. And um, pretty much everyone I've ever talked to who is also a donor will say the same, like, yeah, absolutely. Ask me whatever, you know, even this stuff about the jug of pee, it's fine. You know, So, yeah. Yeah. I think just having the awareness that this, um, these programs, these resources, these support groups are available. Um, you know, I think having such a wonderful community of people that have gone through this and are ready, willing, and able to to provide support and be able to um, walk other living donors through this process. And um, I just really appreciate being able to be here today with you all. 
Yes. Thank you both so much. So all those potential donors out there, come talk to us, come listen to these stories. And, you know, hopefully we can inspire some more people to do that. Thank you for listening. Do you have any questions? Email us directly with your comments and suggestions at nkfpodcasts at kidney.org. We hope you will join us next time. And from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.